you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 2 of this chapter this morning as the conclusion of what we began to study last week, a passage that is absolutely central to our mission and our endurance as a church. See, we as a church have been called together by God to this place to accomplish a divine mission. We don't look around at each other and say, hey guys, what do we want to do? This has already been determined by the God who has called us together. We have a mission according to the pages of Scripture alone, and that is to glorify God through making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. Just as we saw in the book of Colossians over many, many months, Jesus Christ is the supreme and sufficient one, the one in whom divine forgiveness, freedom, and fulfillment alone can be found. Jesus is God's Son. God's chosen one, and all men everywhere are called to repent, to turn to him, to listen and follow him all their days. Beloved, we are the ones who are appointed by God to deliver that call to men and women and children. But that mission of making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ doesn't just happen naturally or easily. No, there are often many dangers and obstacles to accomplishing that divine mission. And that's what we looked at last week in 1 Timothy chapter 1. You've never seen me cover so many verses in one message. There in chapter 1, we're told by the Apostle Paul that the dangers to faithfully carrying out Christ-exalting gospel ministry in our world today are fourfold. First, a lack of fervor in the gospel. We're told in verses 3-7 through to fan into flame the gift of God that is in us. Why? Because a lack of fervor cools off gospel ministry. Second, a lack of fearlessness for the gospel. That was indicated in verses 8-12 through where we were warned to not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Why? Because a lack of fearlessness recoils from gospel ministry. Third, a lack of faithfulness to the gospel. Paul says in verses 13 through 14 to follow the pattern of sound words and to guard the good deposit that is entrusted to us. Why? Because a lack of faithfulness perverts gospel ministry. And then finally, a lack of fortitude with the gospel is a danger. Paul says in verses 15 through 18 to remember men like Onesiphorus, unlike all those who were in Asia, who turned away. Why? Because a lack of fortitude abandons gospel ministry. These are the dangers of the hour. We exist and are called on to exalt Jesus Christ above all. And yet, there is a lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude. Not only around us, but if we are to be honest, also within us. So often, we neglect the gospel. We recoil from it. We minimize parts of it. We abandon our devotion to it. There is a lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude not only around us, but also within us. And so how are we to respond to the dangers of our hour so that we might be able to carry out a Christ-exalting, disciple-making ministry and maturing ministry in our world today? That brings us this morning to the needs of the hour In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, where we see how we are to respond to the lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude surrounding the gospel today. How to respond to the dangers of the hour for the glory of Christ. So, with that in mind, let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. 
Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the Word of God, which when unfolded, gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You that we are not left without witness. That You have revealed Yourself to us through the face of Your Son Jesus Christ as recorded in the pages of Scripture. And not only have You unfolded to us the glory of Your Son Jesus Christ, but then You have told us how to respond in light of His glory and worth. We thank You for the message of the Gospel. We thank You that there is a way of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ alone. We thank You that no matter how depraved and how dead and how hardened we might be because of what Christ has done on the cross, all things are possible with You. We are demonstrations of that by the new life You've given us in Jesus and we ask for another demonstration of Your power this morning as Your Word is taught, I pray that it would be accompanied by the power of Your Spirit, that it would be driven into our hearts, and it would change us for the honor and glory of Christ. Open our eyes to see the truth. Open our minds to understand it. Open our ears to hear it in an obedient way. Give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Paul reminds us of the dangers of the hour and of the lack of fervor and fearlessness and faithfulness and fortitude surrounding the gospel today, he then proceeds to show us the needs of the hour. The needs of the hour in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. In other words, how do we overcome the dangers to gospel ministry in our world today? What are the needs of the hour Paul focuses on two in these verses, and the first need of the hour is to be strengthened by grace. This is in verse 1 of chapter 2, where Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This first need addresses the lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude regarding the gospel that is found first within us. See, as we were confronted with the dangers to gospel ministry outlined in chapter 1, a sinking realization creeps over us. And that is this, that the issues that we see in the larger world 
around us are also present within us. At least that was my conviction last week as I was studying the passage. Far too often I lack fervor. And I let my love for Christ and the gospel grow cold. Far too often I lack fearlessness. And I retreat from moments when I should be sharing the gospel and the glory of Christ in this situation. Far too often I lack faithfulness. I'm tempted to shape the message of God's word to my listener's liking. And far too often I lack fortitude. And I desire to live for myself rather than for him who for my sake died and was raised. In other words, far too often, I'm just like Timothy. Operating out of a spirit of fear rather than a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. Paul knew this and he knew that we would struggle in all these ways and that the dangers that are present around us would also be present in us. And so he starts off chapter 2 by saying, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice he begins with a gentle note of tenderness and compassion. Paul says, You then, my child. And here Paul, being carried along by the Holy Spirit, is actually reflecting the very heart of God towards us. See, God is not surprised by the weaknesses that we often find within us. Psalms 103 verse 14 says, He knows our frame, that we are but dust. And John 2.25 says, He himself knows what is in man. God is not surprised by our spiritual weaknesses. In fact, he is the one who exposes them by his word. He knows our weaknesses before we even do. Everything is laid bare, Scripture says, before his searching gaze. And yet, knowing full well the weaknesses of our own hearts and souls, God comes to us in Christ. And what does he say? He says, my child. See, God is not disgusted with our weaknesses and our struggles. He is drawn to us because of them. Our God is a God of compassion. And because of the love that He has set upon us in Christ, God runs to us in all of our failures and all of our faults and all of our failings. And He offers to flood our weaknesses with His strengths. And that is why He says, You then, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened. So you went through chapter 1. You're recognizing some things that need to change. That's great. Well then, my child, be strengthened. And that verb is in the passive tense in the Greek, meaning it is not something that we do. It is something that we have done to us. So Paul is really saying here, you then, my child, in light of the dangers of the hour, allow yourself to be strengthened. Allow yourself to be strengthened. See, the posture of strength in the Christian life is not self-sufficiency. The posture of strength in the Christian life is the posture of submission. It is when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, as James 4.10 says, that He then exalts us. So submission before God leads to strength. Self-sufficiency and pride leads to powerlessness. As James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. The humble. And that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do here. 
He is calling on Him in light of the dangers of the hour to recognize His insufficiency and weaknesses and to humble Himself before the Lord that He might be strengthened. How? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice the resources for overcoming the dangers of the hour are not found by looking inside yourself. They are found by looking outside yourself. They are found by looking in humility and dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ for Him to give me the strength that only He can give. There is strength in Christ Jesus. There is strength in Christ Jesus. See, you might be a young person and you're looking at all these people that used to profess faith in Jesus Christ. Now, leaving Christ and the Gospel altogether, as I once saw when I was a young person. And I wondered, is this all a farce? Is this all a show? Or is there something real? And you know what my mom advised me to do? Look to Christ. Don't look to them. And find in Him the strength that you need for the hour. You see, there is strength in Christ Jesus. Strength to truly live for the Lord. Though none go with me, you still can follow. There is strength to overcome the spiritual indifference, fear, faithlessness, and frailty, not only outside of us, but inside of us. And that strength is found in Christ Jesus. Paul himself knew this experientially as he said over in Philippians 4, verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so to connect all of these thoughts together that Paul is mentioning here, as God brings to light through various circumstances the lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude within us regarding the gospel, we need to remember our fatherly God is not disgusted with us. He is drawn to us as His children. And in compassion, He is offering us His daily strength if we will be but humble enough to receive it. How? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice, God's spiritual strength does not just zap us from on high, does it? God's strength comes to us By means of His grace, we allow ourselves to be strengthened by God when we humble ourselves enough to receive it by means of His grace. So what are the means of God's grace by which He strengthens us as His children? What are the means by which the Spirit inflames our souls to show greater fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude for the Gospel today? There are three means of grace by which God daily strengthens us if we are humble enough to receive them. That is the word of grace, scriptures, the throne of grace, prayer, and the fellowship of grace, godly fellowship. Do I sound like a broken record yet as your pastor? I hope I do. Because that is exactly how foundationally important these disciplines of grace are to our spiritual lives. These are the three means by which we are strengthened and enlivened for the sake of the gospel in our world today. This is how we stand strong and not be overcome by spiritual weakness. 
These are the three means by which we as believers abide in Christ. It is by the word of grace, which is able to, Acts 20.32, build us up. It is by the throne of grace, which is able to, Hebrews 4.16, give us grace to help in time of need. It is by the fellowship of grace, as Ephesians 4.29 says, that gives grace to those who hear. This is how God strengthens us. It is by the word, prayer, and Christian fellowship when we're humble enough to receive them. This is how God strengthens us for the gospel in our world today. And this is actually how we diagnose the problem and dangers in American Christianity today. Why is there such a stunning lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude when it comes to the gospel today? Is because many believers in many churches have neglected the three means by which God has said He strengthens believers. Sermons have become sociological pep talks in many churches rather than a deep expositional preaching and unfolding of God's Word. Corporate prayer times and meetings have been removed or relegated to midweek in many churches, rather than standing up front and center in the worship life of the church. And Christian fellowship has been reduced to seeing each other on Sundays only, rather than exhorting each other daily, and so much the more as we see the day drawing near. And we want to know why American Christianity is so pitifully weak. It's because we are not humble enough to be strengthened by God's means of grace. We wonder why there's a lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude towards the gospel today. It's because in in Laodicean pride, we've neglected the very means of grace by which God makes us strong. And so in light of the dangers to gospel ministry in our world today, this is the first need of the hour to humble ourselves And allow ourselves, as God's people, to be strengthened by the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. To draw near to God through the word, throne, and fellowship of grace. And in the presence of Him who is the consuming fire, allow our own spiritual fervor to be fanned into a flame. The need of the hours for God's people to humbly allow ourselves to be strengthened by grace. This was a convicting thought for me. Because I look back on this past week and I see a lot of pride. The pride of neglect. And I know I can't be the only one in this. How many times did I get out of bed and attempt to face the day in my own wisdom rather than first making sure that I sit under the wisdom of my Lord? How many times did I choose to get into bed, to sleep, rather than watch and pray after the example of my Lord? And then how many times did I decide to retreat into myself rather than send that text, make that call, have that lunch, And make that time to show others the love of my Lord. We walk in pride far too often. The pride of neglect. And yet, what does our fatherly God still say? My child. My child. If you will but humble yourself, I will give you grace and strength. In Christ, here's the hope. (laughs) That this next week can be different than the last. Let's pray towards this end. God, forgive us for our pride. Cause us to walk in humility this week so that we would not neglect your word, not neglect your throne, not neglect your people. Strengthen by your grace in Christ ourselves for the sake of the gospel. So this is the first need of the hour. Be strengthened by grace. And by this strength, we can then accomplish the second need of the hour which is to be entrusting the gospel. 
These are the needs of the hour. Be strengthened by grace. And second, be entrusting the gospel. That's in verse 2 of chapter 2. Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, this is why we are strengthened. It is to proclaim the good news. It is to pass it on. As Paul himself says later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, he says this, But the Lord stood by me, and He strengthened me. Why? So that through me the message might be proclaimed, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Paul was strengthened by the grace of Christ in order to proclaim the gospel of Christ. There was a purpose to that strengthening. So it is for us as well. We are called on by God to humbly allow ourselves to be strengthened. Why? So that we might be equipped to proclaim. And this is a principle that is seen throughout the entirety of Scripture. What Paul tells us here in 2 Timothy is exactly what Moses said to Israel 1,400 years earlier in Deuteronomy 6, 6-7, when Moses says there, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Why? Verse 7, for you shall teach them diligently, starting first, he says, to your own children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk in the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, you must receive the word of God for yourself so that you might be equipped to pass it on to all those around you, beginning with your own kids, even as you're just walking down the road. And that was Jesus' very point in Luke 8. 16 through 17, when he says this, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known or come to light. In other words, just as one gives light to a lamp so that it can give light to others, so God gives truth to us so that we can share it with others. So that we can pass it on. Truth isn't given, Jesus is teaching, so that it will stay hidden or remain a secret. Truth is given so that it might be spread, so that it might be passed on. That's why you're here today. And not the neighbor you're really concerned about. Or that son or daughter that just won't come to church. The reason why you're here today and not them is because guess who is appointed to be sharing the truth with them? You are. That's why you're here. If you've ever sat there and said, boy, I really wish so-and-so had been here today. That was a message they really needed to hear. Well, guess who's supposed to share it? You are. That's why the truth was given. It's just, that is why you're here today. It is to be strengthened with the truth in order to proclaim the truth. You know a small way that you can put that into practice? If you don't already do it, Talk about Sunday's message with your family on the way home or over lunch with someone else. That's just a very small way to take the truth and make sure that it doesn't die in you. Take the truth in a small way. Start to pass it on. We can't let the truth die within us. It has to live in us and be passed on to others. We are to be strengthened in order to proclaim. So in light of the dangers to gospel ministry that we see around us in our world today, this is the second great need of the hour. It is to be entrusting the gospel, to be passing it on. See, as I was thinking about analogies, the the gospel is not a pacifier that you just suck for your own enjoyment. It's a baton to be passed on to others. 
And in light of the lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude towards the gospel that we see around us today, we as believers and as a church need to be faithful in passing it on. That's why Paul says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here we have outlined in that just one single phrase, three moments in which the truth is faithfully carried on between four generations of Christians. You have first Paul passing it on to Timothy. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Second, you have then Timothy passing it on to faithful men. Entrust what you have heard to faithful men. And then third, you have faithful men passing it on to others also, right? Who will be able to teach others also. Three moments of faithfully entrusting the truth of gospel ministry on to others. Do you know why this church exists? It's because Timothy was faithful to that calling. And those faithful men were faithful to that calling. And those other faithful men were faithful to their calling. And on and on and on through the generations until someone was faithful to their calling to proclaim the gospel to you. And now, it is your job to take this truth that's been entrusted with you and pass it on to others. This is the great need of the hour. And from this one verse, we learn three important details concerning this great need to be entrusting the gospel. We learn first, what is to be passed on, second, how it is to be passed on, and then third, who it is to be passed on to. So first, let's consider what is to be passed on. What have we been given that we are to share? Paul says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So that was what Timothy was called on to pass on. So what was it that Timothy heard from Paul? We don't have to guess. Paul says just four sentences earlier in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. So Timothy heard sound words, that is, healthy words from Paul. What does that mean? It means that Timothy heard God's words from Paul. As Paul says in Galatians 1, 11 through 12, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's words were sound words, healthy words, God's words. And that is why Peter says over in 2 Peter 3, 15-16, that Paul's writings are Scripture. So Timothy heard God's words from Paul. And if you track it back even further into chapter 1, verses 8-12, through these sound words that Timothy heard from Paul are the truths of the gospel. The healthiest message that could ever be given. It is the revelation of how all of God's purposes and grace, all of God's word in a sense, find their fulfillment in and through the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what is to be passed on? It is the full revelation of God's word understood rightly in light of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is what is to be passed on. Second, how it is to be passed on. Paul says, in trust. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, what are we supposed to do with it? We're just supposed to come on every Sunday and just listen to it. Nope. You are to entrust it. Entrust it to help, to help you understand what that word entrust means. This word entrust is used in a noun form back in chapter 1, verse 14. And there the word means a deposit or a trust or a treasure. See, that's what the truth is. Now, maybe you've grown up in this church and you've heard, the ter- you've heard the truth preached every single week and you don't recognize it for the treasure that it is. 
talk to someone who doesn't know Christ, who's living in this world without guidance or wisdom, as they continually ask themselves, what is truth? And you will begin to treasure the truth that you've received. Because that's what the truth is. That's what the full revelation of God's Word through Christ is. It's a treasure. We have here in our hands the sacred writings, the very oracles of God, the very Word of Christ, the very sword of the Spirit, the very Word of life, the very undiluted truth of God given to man. These are pure words, Scripture says, like silver refined in the furnace, purified seven times over. This book is the purest thing you as a sinner, will ever come in contact with this side of heaven. It is the Word of God. And as such, the truths contained in this book are better than thousands of gold and silver pieces, better than jewels, more valuable than pearls. All that we could ever desire could never compare with this. That's what Scripture says, and therefore the truths of this Word are to be handled as the treasure that it is. Do you treasure the Word of God? This is the clear difference between someone who is redeemed and unredeemed. As Charles Spurgeon said, you know who those are unredeemed? They are those who can write the word damnation on the cover of their Bible because of the dust that it collected on it. Those who are born again treasure the word of God for what it is. The truths of this word are to be handled and entrusted as the treasure that it is. Think about it. What do banks and stores do when they want to move their treasure, treasure from one location to another? I used to be fascinated by this as a kid when I'd see it happening. What do they do? They take an armored vehicle, right? And under the constant supervision of two or three armed guards or more, they take hold of the treasure, they transport it, And they deliver it to its new location, being careful not to lose a single ounce of any of it along the way. That's how we're to pass on God's Word, as the treasure that it is. We are to entrust it. That's why Paul reminds Timothy earlier that he was handed this treasure in the presence of who? Many witnesses. In other words, it was, handled, it was handed off under careful supervision and accountability. Many armed guards, you could put it that way, right? <laughs> Think about it. Everyone in Ephesus heard Paul pass on the truth of God to Timothy for three whole years. That church had many witnesses as to what the pure, unvarnished truth of God was. And now, as Timothy steps into that pulpit, everything he will ever teach is going to be held up next to that pure standard of apostolic doctrine. Everything he ever teaches. In other words, Timothy would be kept accountable regarding whether he was following the pattern of sound words that he had heard from Paul, regarding whether he was guarding the good deposit that indeed had been entrusted to him, or whether he was letting parts of that treasure slip away. Everyone would keep Timothy accountable in his teaching because they had God's word for themselves. And that's exactly the way it should be. That is why William Tyndale gave his life so that absolutely everything ever taught in a church could be examined in light of God's word. 
everyone could keep Timothy accountable for his teaching because they had God's word for themselves. That's the way it should be because Timothy had a glorious treasure that had been entrusted to him. And that's how God's word and the gospel is to be passed on carefully as the treasure that it is. So we've seen what is to be passed on, how it is to be passed on, and finally, Paul shows us who it is to be passed on to. Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice Paul mentions two qualities to look for when considering who to entrust the precious treasure of gospel ministry to. Jesus said earlier in the gospel of of Matthew, you don't cast your pearls before swine. You don't entrust great treasure to those who don't value it. Paul returns to that theme of Christ here in this passage. Paul says, first, entrust this treasure to faithful men. Faithful men. Notice, not creative men, not dynamic men, not persuasive men, not perfect men. Faithful men. This is who you entrust the good deposit to. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1-2, this is how one should regard us, just as servants of Christ. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The truth of God is to be carefully entrusted to faithful men. You say, well, who is a faithful man? Paul goes on to say that as a man who lives not for the pleasure of men, but for the pleasure of God. That's who you're going to find as a faithful man. This is the type of man who, as Titus 1.9 says, will hold firm to the trustworthy word as it was taught. This is the type of man who, as 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, will refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but rather, rather will simply openly proclaim the truth. Why? Because he is living for the audience of one. That is a faithful man. Who is the stewardship of the gospel ministry to be carefully entrusted to? Faithful men. Notice who will be able to teach others also. You see, you entrust gospel ministry to faithful men who are able to what? Teach, not entertain, not stir up a crowd, not develop an applause, teach. Who are able to handle the Word of God properly, who are able to study to show themselves approved unto God, who are able to cut a straight line through the pages of Scripture and plainly explain its real and true meaning. This is who it's supposed to be passed on to faithful men who are able to teach others also. And so this is the great need of the hour. If we want to exalt Jesus Christ in our world today as a church, and if we want the gospel to survive beyond our own lifetime, the gospel witness here in West Liberty, we must be faithful in passing it on. We at Grace Chapel are to have an enduring, Christ-exalting gospel ministry And if we are to combat the lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude in our world today, then we must not only be strengthened by grace for ourselves, but we must be entrusting the gospel to others. We must be carefully and intentionally passing it on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, this is a great need today. Great, great need. According to a recent Barna poll released in 2017, the percentage of church leaders 65 and older among Protestant churches had nearly tripled, meaning that there are now more pastors and elders over the age of 65 than under the age of 40. This is a massive shift 
See, back in 1968, 55% of all Protestant church leaders were under the age of 45. In other words, the majority of all church leaders were in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Early 40s. Today, only 22% are. Since just 1992, the average age of pastors and elders in American Protestant churches has increased by over a decade from 42 to 52 years of age. You know what that means? It means that a majority of churches in America are failing in their mission. They're not entrusting the gospel ministry to the next generation. If all you and I ever do, please hear this, if all, because I want to be kept accountable to this, if all you and I ever do is just be faithful in our place of ministry, if we never intentionally raise someone else up to take our place, we're not faithful in our ministry, we're failing it. We've only done half our job. Listen, this calling is very, very near and dear to my heart. So much so that during the candidating process to come here as your pastor, I asked the search committee as I look back on it, probably the weirdest question you could ever possibly ask at that point. I asked them this. So how many Sundays out of the year do you want me to teach? And they looked at me like I was crazy. (laughs) So I clarified. And I said, no, I'm not trying to get out of work, but I want to know, are you hiring a preacher or are you hiring a pastor? Because if I'm going to train up other faithful men as I'm called to do in the pages of Scripture, then other people are going to have to get behind that pulpit as I listen to them. In fact, as I understand it, my job is to spend the next few decades of my life working myself out of a job. (laughs) There was a lot of people that freaked out at that point because they were like, do you understand we've been looking for five years for a pastor? (laughs) I get that. But do you recognize that five years becomes 50 years so fast? It's not only be a faithful man myself, but it's to identify and raise up other faithful men who will be able to raise up others also after me. Our internship program this summer is just one of the ways we seek to reflect this priority that we must have as a church. Colby's the first pastoral internship under my pastorate. By God's grace, he won't be the last. More men in our church must be discipled. More men must be trained. More men must be made faithful. More men must be entrusted with the gospel. Why? Because of the need of the hour. The need to be entrusting the gospel to the next generation. If we are to have an enduring gospel ministry in this place that exalts Jesus Christ above all, then these are the needs of the hour. We must not only be strengthened by grace, but we must be entrusting the gospel. We just had a ministry fair here two weeks ago. In light of that, I have some questions. Ministry leaders, I have a question first for you, the people that were sitting behind those booths. Who are you carefully training and mentoring and intentionally raising up to take your place? Elders? Deacons? Bible teachers? Bible counselors? Ministry team leaders? Who are you intentionally training and slowly raising up alongside you to eventually carry on your own ministry far beyond your life. If you don't have someone, I'd encourage you to find someone and to bring them under your wing. And this summer is a great time to start. 
as I was thinking about this call to be entrusted in the gospel, I thought of one of the immediate objections that sadly I've wrestled through in my own life, and I'm sure I can't be alone also. Let's be honest, some of us haven't done this. We have not entrusted our place of ministry to someone else because we don't have the trust required for entrusting. Why would I start entrusting others with some of these responsibilities when I just know I can do it better myself? Listen, first, you don't know that. And second, that's not your call. Your call is to carefully and humbly be entrusting your ministry to others. And if fear over how others might mess it up has kept you from faithfully entrusting your place and position of ministry to others, listen to what Paul says just a few verses earlier in chapter 1, verse 12. He says this, I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. In other words, the God who guarded the ministry of the gospel when it was in your faulty hands is able to guard the ministry of the gospel when it's in someone else's faulty hands also. Trust God. Trust God and be entrusting your gospel ministry to others. Finally, I wish I had a whole other sermon to preach on this, but in this call to be entrusting the gospel, this doesn't apply just to pastors, ministry leaders. You know where it begins? with what we saw in Deuteronomy this morning when we were reading it. Mothers, don't neglect your important ministry of entrusting the gospel of Christ to your children. Fathers, don't be neglecting your ministry to be entrusting the gospel truth to your spouses and your children. In light of the dangers of the hour, the lack of gospel fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude. We are called on here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-2 to allow ourselves to be humbled, be strengthened by God's grace, and be entrusting the gospel for the glory of Jesus. This is the need of the hour. May God give us grace so that Grace Chapel would be faithful to that call. May he give us grace to be stewards who are found faithful. This is the word of God from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-2, through 2, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until that day. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for how we can make sense of the world in which we live according to your word. We thank you that it shows us the dangers, the challenges, the obstacles of the hour, and we thank you that it, that it provides clear light, clear guidance, clear shepherding in how to overcome those challenges. Father, as we consider how so many perhaps friends and family members who once professed the gospel have become like Demas following after the things of this world, We know that we are weak as well. Father, give us grace that we might be strengthening ourselves by your grace. Give us grace that we might be entrusting the gospel onto even those that we just assume are saved. Help us not to assume that. 
For the gospel needs to be declared both to the lost and to the saved. And then, Father, as we consider in our day how so many gospel ministries are starting to crumble, beneath all those fourfold dangers, help us, Father, to be a church that is committed to strengthening ourselves in the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus and help us be a church that is committed to be entrusting this great treasure of the gospel to those who will carry it on beyond us. Help us to be humble enough to do these two things. We pray for the honor and glory of Jesus in our day. Amen.